Over the summer, those of us who are preaching get to choose a passage uh, to preach from. And this was actually quite difficult because the Bible's quite long. And there's a lot of it. And you just, where do I, where should I preach? How should I preach? What, Lord, are you asking me to preach from? Anyway, I feel God has drawn me to this passage. So let's pray as we start. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is good, that it brings life. And we pray that we may receive your goodness and your life today as we hear your word, as we remind ourselves of who you are and what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I undertook a little survey this week. I googled, because that's the best way to do a survey, right? I googled, what is the most hated profession in the world today? And there were lists and lists of websites offering their take on the top 10 most hated professions. And there was a great deal of crossover between the different lists. For example, dentists, those people who charge large sums to cause us pain, they were on most lists. So were bankers, and so were politicians, estate agents, telesales reps, lawyers. They all found themselves occurring multiple times on these lists of hated professions. But there was one profession that was nearly top of every single list. Any ideas of what that might be? Taxman? No, not a taxman, surprisingly. The one who writes the tickets on the car. Yes, the humble traffic warden was nearly top of every single list. And they don't really help themselves when you read in the news stories like the traffic warden who gave out parking tickets to the Thames Well Rescue Service as they were desperately trying to rescue a beached whale somewhere up on the Thames. Or the taxi driver who got a ticket when he was pulled over on the side of the road his, uh, assisting a woman who had fainted and he was waiting for the ambulance to arrive. They haven't exactly given themselves, done themselves any favors in the popularity stakes. And I, I don't know if it's just my experience, but trying to find a place to park when there's so many different bays with different signs, and it, it's incredibly confusing to find an actual bay that you're really allowed to park in. And then, once you've parked, you've got to go and find the ticket machine, which could be round a corner. It's quite, I, I find that quite challenging, maybe... Maybe it's just me, but you go to the ticket machine and you put your money in and you kind of try and work out how much extra time you need just in case there's a delay because you don't want to be caught out. But no matter how much you account for the delays, you're always 10 minutes late. You're always dashing back to your car thinking, oh no, there's going to be one of those yellow slips stuck to my windscreen. And when you get to your car and you see that little pouch stuck to the front of you, it's the most infuriating thing in the world. I pay my road tax. Now I have to pay another tax for parking. 
Does anybody like traffic wardens? Like the traffic warden is today, the tax collector in Jesus' day would have been pretty much top of every Jew's most hated list. Not quite top, but they, he, the tax collector would have featured on pretty much every list. In Jesus' time, Israel was an occupied country. The Roman Empire ran things around there. And they demanded taxes be paid to Caesar. Exorbitant taxes were taken from the people, not necessarily for their gain, unlike our tax system tries to do today, but to fund the expansion and the maintenance of the unwanted, oppressive, occupying Roman Empire. And anyone collecting taxes on behalf of Rome were considered, were considered colluders. They were almost as bad as the enemy Rome itself. In addition, these tax collectors would add their own, often excessive charges to the tax that they claimed, making funding uh, lavish lifestyles for themselves. In fact, the Jews despised these colluders so much that some rabbis went as far as saying that it, it is permissible to lie to a tax collector to protect your property. And in this town, Capernaum, there was even more reason to grumble than ever. When Herod the Great had died, his lands were split between his three sons. Archelaus was given the lands around Georgia and, uh, sorry, not Georgia, um, Judah and the south. Antipas was given Galilee and the north. Philip, the lands now known as the Golan Heights and up through Syria. And Capernaum was right on the border between Antipas's and Philip's land. And there was a new toll. If you were taking goods from Philip's land into Antipas's land, then you had to pay a tariff. What once was a free, frictionless border now incurred a huge charge that disrupted livelihoods, that made businesses go bust. And sat at this toll booth was a man called Levi. Had Levi chosen this hated profession? Did he approve of Herod Antipas, who was despised by most ordinary Jews? Or was this the only job available to him? We don't know. We don't know his motives for why he was sat at that toll booth. But we do know how others would have viewed him, how others would have treated him because of his profession. Day after day, Levi would have been subjected to anger, to resentment. He would have been shouted at, sworn at, gossiped about. By others, he might have been shunned or spurned. Although 
this day was different. Jesus comes along and he doesn't shout at him. He doesn't uh, swear at him or doesn't ignore him. In fact, he goes to him and says, follow me. This was not the brutal barrage of insults that Levi was expecting, but an astonishing invitation. An invitation to leave that detested profession where he worked for a despised ruler, Herod Antipas, who called himself King of the Jews. And an invitation to work for a man who would one day be revealed as the true king. Although Levi wouldn't have realized the caliber and credentials of his new boss just yet. Jesus then invites himself round to dinner. And as they eat, the Pharisees criticize Jesus for dining with Levi, tax collectors and sinners. Why does this man eat with such people, tax collectors, sinners, people of questionable moral behavior and activity. In fact, many Pharisees would refuse to eat in ordinary Jews' homes, just in case the food had not been prepared in strict accordance with the food laws or if the food hadn't been tithed for in the proper way. And they would certainly not eat with such dubious characters such as tax collectors. And they expected Jesus, a respected rabbi, to act in the same exclusive way. Perhaps it's worth noting at this point that Pharisees get a rough time in many sermons and Bible studies in the church today. I'm sure we've all heard about the hypocritical, religious in the kind of bad, negative sense of the word, hard-hearted Pharisees. But in Jesus' day, Pharisees were incredibly highly respected. They were respected for their piety, for their meticulous observance of the law. Through their strict practices and lifestyle, they were, if you like, building a fence around the law so as to guard it against any possible infringement that could cause defilement. Jesus' response doesn't criticize their goals of purity and obedience, but challenges their inconsistent and hypocritical application. They have become obsessed with external things, neglecting the issues that mattered most to God. In their quest for purity, they had lost God's heart for people. And it is God's heart for people that lies at the center of Jesus' response. Jesus starts by quoting a common, par a common parable, common saying of the time. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. If you are healthy... Of course you don't need a doctor. You don't need to go and sit in a waiting room and wait to be seen by a physician because you have no need. You are well. But it is the sick who need that care and attention. He then takes that saying and applies it to his own ministry. I have come not to call the righteous but sinners. 
In other words, Jesus is saying, I am like a good doctor. I am like a doctor who has come to bring healing, who has come to heal the sick. Mark's gospel has already established Jesus as a healer. One verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 31, Jesus uh, heals Peter's mother-in-law. In verse 34, he heals many others. In 141, Jesus heals a man with leprosy. And immediately preceding this passage, the call of Levi, Jesus heals a paralyzed man. But Jesus doesn't want to just be a doctor who's interested in healing physical pains. Jesus, the great physician, was here for the spiritually needy. Jesus was here to bring health to the whole of Israel, to the whole world. To be a good doctor, you can't care from the sick at arm's length, from a safe distance, from the far side of your purity fence. A doctor needs to get up close to their patient. Imagine walking into a surgery today only to find the doctor is kind of behind a glass panel the other side of the room and you, you go in complaining of a, I don't know, a shoulder ache and they just look at you through this glass and say, well, what would they say? They wouldn't be able to give you a good diagnosis and they wouldn't be able to prescribe the right treatment. A doctor needs to get up close, even touch the joint, to feel how it moves. And then maybe they will be able to give you the right course of treatment. Jesus' ministry would do exactly that. It did not conform to the strict religious requirements of the law and the expectations of religious groups like the Pharisees nor would it be conformed by the political opposition to Herod or Rome. Jesus would not allow human expectations to derail his ministry. He would be obedient, even if it meant stirring up opposition on every single level, social, cultural, political, religious. Jesus' ministry would stir up trouble. Because Jesus would befriend those who worked for Herod or Rome. He would party with those of questionable moral status, touch disease, heal on the Sabbath. If it meant that his kingdom would be made known. You see, the kingdom of God is, is not contaminated by sinners but brings restoration and healing. It reconciles people to God. Human respectability can so easily mask reality and stop us from extending God's healing welcome to those around us. This week I heard a lovely story of uh, one of our parishioners, Prudence, who comes here. She was 
uh, chatting with a postman who had delivered a package to her, and the, the postman kind of asked, what's in the package? Because it was very light, and he wondered whether there was anything in it. It turned out to be a pair of earplugs for swimming to protect your ears. The postman said, oh, I, I could do with some of those because I've got terrible tinnitus ringing in my ear. And Prudence said, well, I know about a God who loves to do things like healing. Can I pray for you? And the postman was like, okay, yeah, sure, you can pray for me. And Prudence prayed with the postman. Now, the postman wasn't healed miraculously there and then, but it has sparked follow-on conversations where Prudence has been able to continually share the love of God with her postman. And I love the postman's response to one of these conversations. He said, do you know what? Your God sounds like a pretty nice guy. Prudence seized the moment, not willing to be restricted by human respectability. Because let's be honest, offering to pray for the first person that rings your doorbell isn't exactly typical human behavior. But she seized that moment so that God's kingdom may be made known here and now. And who knows? I'm praying that that postman receives complete healing to his ears, but more than that, he receives healing in a way that he doesn't even know he needs. That he may be reconciled with his God. We like Jesus, like prudence, are invited not to build fences of separation from the world, but to carry the message of grace and transformation to those who knock on our front door, to those in our street, to those in our communities, or to wherever it is needed. Perhaps... You come today and you're feeling a little more like Levi. Somehow rejected or shunned, overlooked, belittled. Well, Jesus' invitation is for you. To come and know maybe for the first time or maybe for the nth time. That God's healing welcome is for you. Or perhaps you would like to be filled with a little more boldness to join in handing out the invitation to those around us, to God's healing and reconciling kingdom. If either of those resonate with you this afternoon, I would love to pray with you. And after the service, I'm going to be just at the front over here. And I will have some oil, and we will pray for you and anoint you with oil. Let's pray.